Thanks for joining us online as we continue in our study of Romans. As a freshman in college, I came to faith in Christ and came home that summer reading my Bible, and whoa, did that get my parents' attention. And that was the genesis of a number of theological discussions I had with my dad. And what we could never get past was the idea that a person could earn their way to salvation. My dad just thought it was good versus bad, and I told him it's nothing to do with good versus bad, but ultimately our faith in God. We, we just couldn't understand it. And, and those conversations between father and son would get so hot that we finally just stopped. But it did raise this question, what's wrong? What's wrong with someone trying to earn their way to heaven? We're going to wrestle with that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Romans chapter 9, we're going to pick up the end of chapter 9, starting in verse 30, and go all the way through chapter 10, wrestling with this question, what's wrong with trying to earn our way to heaven? Now let's set the stage. Uh, Paul opened Romans saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation. And he laid out the idea that both religious and non-religious person was separated from God. And then he spent chapters 4 through 8 talking about the beauty of the gospel. The offer that God has made to all of humankind. But then in chapter 9, we ask the question, well, what about Israel? See, ancient Israel, Israel in Paul's day, by and large, there were a few individual exceptions, but by and large, they rejected the gospel. And was that a sign that, that God really wasn't in control? Well, last week we took most of chapter 9 and said, no, you know, this uh, rejection by Israel was really a part of God's plan. God, in fact, called it from hundreds of years past. And we suggest that he was in control even of that. But we also suggested that Israel bore their own responsibility for rejecting God. And that's what we're going to look at today. Yeah, yeah God's sovereign in that. But Israel's responsible in their decision-making. So Paul starts this way in chapter 9, verse 30. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. So, so what Paul's saying is the Gentiles, by and large, they weren't religious. They weren't spiritually interested people. They weren't in, interested in any rules or suggestions by God. They were doing their own thing, ignoring God. And all of a sudden, they found salvation not by following these rules, but by faith in Christ. So those people who really weren't even looking for it, find it. In contrast, the Jews who, who were looking for it, uh, miss it. Verse 31, but Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. So, so Israel had the law. They had God's standards, and they were pursuing it on their own, and, and they didn't get there. What happened? What happened? Well, Paul tells us what happened in verses 32 and 33. He says, why? There's the question. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. So God made the same offer he made to the Gentiles and the Jews, if, you, if you'll trust in me. But he said, no, 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 thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll go our own way. We'll, we'll, we'll try and work our way. They stumbled Paul says, over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, and Paul quotes from the book of Isaiah here, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, 
And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Uh, so Paul's point is this offer of salvation, this means of salvation uh, became a, a cause of stumbling for the people of Israel. Think if you well a 10 or 12 year old boy who, who falls down into a well. And in an attempt to get him out, some, some friends, they, they, they thread a, a good sized rope down there. And he takes it, but, but in the process of lip, lifting him up, they, the, the rope gets caught around his neck and he, and he strangles to death. See, that which was su- supposed to bring freedom brought death. And, and that's Paul's point here. What's supposed to bring life, the, the Jews have, have made a mistake and they're stumbling over it. it. It's causing a separation from God. And they are indeed separated from him. And Paul is, is grieved by that, starting in chapter 10, verse 1. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I'm wondering, you have people in your life, I have people in my life, they're, they're in our workplace, they're in our neighborhood, they're in our family, they're in our friend circle. They don't, they don't know God. Does your heart break do, for them? Do you grieve for them? Ask God to give you a Paul's heart in Romans 10, verse 1, for those who are separate from God. Here's what Paul says about his Jewish brethren of that day. He says, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, that they're interested in God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Well, they're interested, but they're going to do it on their own. They're not going to take direction. They're not going to be taught. They, They know, so they think. We moved to Lincoln in October of 2002, taking a new job at Lincoln Brian. And I thought, you know, this is a good time not for me to, to get going physically, too. It's a new page in my life. And so we were living in an apartment, and that uh, apartment complex had a little mini gym. And so I would go out jogging, and then I would do all the exercises in that mini gym. And, and I kept working that thing. And one of the exercises was, was working my shoulder. And man, it began to hurt. But I thought, you know, I, I am committed. I'm going to push through on this thing. So I kept working that thing. And it got to the point I couldn't, I couldn't lift my shoulder. And I went to the doctor and he says, I, I think you've hurt your rotator cuff. I don't think you've torn it. If you'll just give it rest, I think you'll be okay. And in fact, I was. But it was about three months. What was wrong? Was I lazy? Nope. I was working hard. I was pushing through the pain, but I wasn't doing it in accordance with knowledge. And that's Paul's point here. It's not for a lack of zeal, but their zeal is not contained by, by knowledge, by what God has said himself. They, they've pushed back on that, and they said, I'll do it on my own, and, and they're hurting themselves. Well, where did they lack knowledge? Verse 3. For not knowing about God's right, righteousness... And seeking to establish their own. Uh, yeah, that Jesus thing, I, I know, I, I'm going to do it on my own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. God's calling us to be righteous, but what he's saying is you can't do it on your own. That, that status is found in Jesus when you trust in him. And the Jewish people say, no, I don't think so. I'll do it on my own. And in choosing to do it on their own, they rejected. God's plan of salvation. See, we started by, by asking this question. What's wrong? 
What's so wrong with trying to earn our way to heaven? Here's the deal. In trying to earn our way to heaven and doing it on our own, we reject God's kind plan of salvation. We reject God's kind plan of salvation. Paul goes on to say, about the, talk about the people of faith in verse 4. For he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What's he saying there? The, the person that believes in Jesus, they no longer have to try and keep the law, which nobody can perfectly. Because Jesus did it and he died a substitutionary death. That's the whole message of the gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed. The perfection that you and I seek in trying to keep the law on our own and fail at, Jesus did. In fact, at one point in, when he was on earth, he looked at his opponents. This is recorded in John 8, 46. And he said, which one of you finds any sin among me? And the answer was silence. The good news of the gospel is Jesus died a death. He didn't have to die for you and for me, and he rose again. And so perfection is still the status, but it, it's not in trying to keep the rules and regulations. It's in a total dependence on Christ. For that reason, Jesus is the end of the law for us. We no longer have to do that. We have to throw ourselves on Christ. Now, if we're going to be people who say, no, 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 I'm going to do it on my own, we better keep the law perfectly. That's what verse 5 says. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. So if you're going to take this Old Testament, New Testament, you're going to take all the commandments out and you're going to say, I'm going to do them, then you better do it perfectly. That better be your guide and don't fail. Because remember, God is holy and he's perfect. So let me just take the first of the two Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus says. Do you do it all the time? Neither do I. But we're guilty. We felt guilty. Second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with that? All the time? Neither do I. We're guilty. We're guilty. We're going to come by the law. We've got to keep it perfectly. See, the law was never given to us to, to get us to do, to do. It was to point us the fact that we need a Savior. It was to show us that we need the righteousness that only Jesus can offer. In verses 6 and 7, it talks about our imperfection. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to in heaven? Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What's Paul's point there? We can't do what Jesus did for us. No one can go up to heaven and, and bring him down and be, tell him to be the perfect sacrifice. And no one could go in the earth after he had been put there on Friday and raise him from the dead Sunday. That's, that's something only God can do. See, we can't do the works to earn our salvation, but God has done work. In verses six and seven say, don't try it, you can't do it. So I mentioned the fact that we moved here in 2002. At that time I was 41, almost 42. For the first time in our lives, I hired movers to load the truck in Arizona and bring it here. And then we were met by a bunch of the young singles and they 
moved the heavy furniture in, and then we've moved from an apartment to a house and a house to a second house. And every time, we've hired movers, young men, to lift the heavy furniture. And I watch them and I think, those guys are doing something I can't do, at least without wrecking my back and being in bed for weeks. They have strength I don't have. I, I'm, I'm putting my trust in them to do what I can't do. See, that's what verses 6 and 7 says. You, you got a debt, I got a debt, we can't pay it. But just like those movers, Jesus is doing something we can't do for ourselves, so don't try it. That's what verses 6 7, you can't go into heaven, I can't go into heaven, we can't go into the earth to bring Jesus back. He does what we couldn't do for ourselves. Verse 8 then says, God has come and he's come near to put his word in our mouth and in our heart. That's what verse 8 says. But what does it say? The word is near you. Where? In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. God has made himself known. He's made himself manifest. And that gospel is going forward. And we as the church are part of a 2,000 year relay. And, and this thing continues to go forward. So this is what we need to do, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. We need to put our faith, our complete trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. We need to step out on him, trusting him. So about four years ago, we went on a family vacation to Chicago. And one of the sights you got to see is the Sears Tower. I think it's now called the Willis Tower. And it's 1,400 feet up. If you count the antenna, it's 1,700 feet. Let's work with the 1,400 feet. 1,429, I think, is the number. And they have this little sky deck. And what you can do is uh, you can step out from the building and walk out on this glass thing, and you can look down. And, and you don't have the support of the building. You just have the sky deck. Well, if you're going to take that step out at 1,400 feet up, uh, you better believe that thing can hold you. So my wife didn't want to go. It was me and my two sons, and all three of us decided to do it, and, and we survived. And our thinking was, surely they wouldn't build this thing if it was going to give out. Lots of people have done it. And so, so we did it, and we survived. But in stepping out there, we're putting our full weight that this thing's going to hold us. That's a picture of what we need to do with Christ. We, we need to admit we're sinners, and we need to put our full weight in stepping out on him. Now look, if we take that step, verses 11 to 13 say, we won't be disappointed. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, religious and non-religious. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there it is, the, the, the offer of salvation is open to anyone. Yes, there is a God who is sovereign, but that does not negate free will. It is open for anyone who will respond. So there's an urgency then in verse 14. It says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they 
believe in in whom they have not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? So Andy, that's your job. You're the preacher. Well, yeah, I have a job on Sundays. But we all have a job Monday through Saturday to be that messenger, to go out and share this message. Look back in 2004 when this vision was launched at Lincoln Berean. I remember Brian Clark, senior pastor there, saying, look, if, if you're just looking for a smaller church or if you're just looking for a, a place that's more convenient, please don't go. Please stay here. Because that church is on mission. We just think it's hard for people from the Highlands or Seward or Fallbrook or whatever to come all the way to Highways 2 and 70th if their neighbor invites them. So we want to make it easier so they can hear the gospel. We are about the mission of reaching people. Now look, these are unprecedented times. First pandemic we've had in 100 years and, and we're still trying to figure it out and we're trying to, what does it look like? And you know, a lot of times what I hear is, Andy, I, I just want to get back to normal. You know what? So do I. And we're frustrated we can't get there. But you need to know as staff and leadership of the church, as we make decisions, getting back to normal isn't our number one goal. Our number one goal is how do we get this message out and it's looking different because of what is going on with this pandemic. So as we're making decisions, we're making decisions with which, the reasoning with which the church was launched. We want to reach people. And so we're going to be talking in the next weeks and months, what does it look like? What we'll ultimately be driving is, is what can we do to reach people given what is going on with this COVID-19 illness in our culture? Now, you need to know as we share this message, some people will reject it. Verse 16 says, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now, this is Isaiah, the one that was called by God, anointed by God, and people weren't even listening to him. <laughs> so this goes all the way back in history. People reject the message of God. But still, they need to hear. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One of our core values is people matter to God. And we're trying to care for people holistically, but at the core of their being, they're spiritual people. And we want to be about being God's vehicle to connect people with God. So who is it in your sphere of influence that needs to hear this message? Would you pray about it and see where God would give you the opportunity to speak forth? We're called people to share this message. Now let's, let's remember um, what's driving this whole discussion. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Beautiful gospel laid out. Salvation for all people. What about Israel? Israel's rejected it. Is, is God out of control? Chapter 9, no, he's absolutely not. He was sovereignly in charge. He called this from way back. Chapter 10, though God is sovereign, Israel is responsible for their decision, just like any other person who rejects the gospel. But then Paul brings it back. 
specifically to what is going on in his day. The Gentiles are receiving this message in mass. And the Jewish people are, are pushing back on it, with some, with some exceptions, but in general, they're, they're rejecting it. One more time, Paul says, this is not flummoxed God, this is not confused God. In fact, he's called it from eternity past. So here we go, verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Talking about that the Gentiles, God would reach out to the Gentiles. Yeah, they did. Verse 19, first Moses, who was there at the Genesis of the nation, says, I will make you, Israel, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. He's talking about the Gentiles. You're going to presume upon God. You're going to re- reject God. You're going to do your thing. I'm going to make you jealous. I'm going to show myself to the Gentiles, the people you thought were fuel for the fires of hell, uh, by a nation without an understanding will I anger you. These people will have no religious training, have nothing. God's calling from a thousand years or more past. I'm going to make you jealous because you presumed upon me. You assumed upon me. I'm going to the Gentiles. One more time, he says it. Prophet Isaiah, probably 700 B.C.-ish. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, the Gentiles. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. Is God out of control in this thing? Absolutely not. He's been calling his shot from a thousand or more years back. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. <laughs> that Israel in Paul's day was rejecting God? No, nothing's new. That's what they've been. No. God is not flummoxed. What we've learned, though, from Israel is it's a mistake. It's an eternal mistake to try and earn our salvation on our own. Because in doing that, we reject God's kind plan. When we first moved into a house, we lived down at 93rd and Old Cheney, and we had wonderful neighbors. We lived in a cul-de-sac. And I just never... um, we just never bought a snowblower because I wanted the exercise to shovel. But once in a while, we'd get one of these snows that was 8, 10, 12 inches. You know how it goes. And there I am shoveling away. And, and this is going to be, and I get the boys out, we're going we're gonna to do our driveway in shifts. I mean, this, this may take all day. We're going to come in, we'll shovel a little bit, we'll rest, and we'll make 10%, we'll take a rest. And, and so I'm shoveling. And here comes my neighbor with his big snowblower. You want some help, he asks. Okay, I got two choices there. I can say, no, I'll keep shoveling. That would be rejecting his kind offer. That, that would be a foolish decision, wouldn't you agree? Or I could do, say what I did. Yeah, I'd really appreciate it. And he does, in the next 10 minutes, what it would take me almost a day, and I would hurt my back. And I watch him do it. I have no back pain. I have nothing. He, it's a kind offer that I accepted. <laughs> but I would be foolish if I said, no, no, I think I'll do it on my own. How much more? 
God has made a kind offer through Jesus Christ. Why? Why would we say, no, I think I'll do it on my own? See, when we decide we're going to work for salvation on our own, we reject God's kind plan of salvation. I pray we wouldn't be people who make that mistake. Let me pray for us now. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that uh, you do have a kind plan of salvation. And yet history is replete with people who rejected it by doing it on their own. And here we see an example of, of Israel. Are you out of control? No. But they're responsible for their own choices. God, I believe you put this in here so we wouldn't make the same mistake. Would we be people who take you at your word and take your plan of salvation? Then would we heed the call you talk about when you ask how can they respond if they haven't heard? Would we take that seriously and be about people who are sharing your message? Lord, empower us to this end. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.